Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John 14. You'll need your Bible this morning. We're going to be busy in the Word, and uh, you do well to have a Bible open beginning there in John chapter 14 as we enter into this part of our worship where we study from the Bible and we try to put some thoughts together to uh, look through a topic from God's Word. So it's so good to see you this morning. We have a number of visitors with us. We always want you to know you're welcome here. We always want you to know we're glad that you're here. And we always want you to know that we want to get to know you better. And uh, so if you have a chance, please stick around for a few minutes after the service. And we'd like to meet you and get to know you. And if there's something that we can help you with, we'd love to hear about that. But most of all, we're glad that you're here and you've chosen to worship with us this morning. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In this text, Jesus is about to lead the apostles. He knows that he's going to be killed, that he's going to be raised, that he's going to ascend to heaven. And so he begins to prepare them for a life without him. What's going to happen in the next chapter? And he says in verse 16 of our text we just read, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. Verse 17, the Spirit of truth. He will dwell with you and be in you. In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The sense is that he will come to them through the Holy Spirit. And in this speech Jesus gives, just before he is to be killed, repeatedly he tells the apostles about what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. And I just want you to look with me for just a moment at a couple of passages here in this text. John 14 and verse 26. In verse 26 he says... But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you all things, he says. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Turn the page to John 15 and verse 26. Jesus is still speaking here. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So he will testify about Jesus in chapter 16 of John, John 16. And verse 7, John 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So he will convict the world, and specifically here, in the absence of Jesus. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away so that I can send the Spirit and he can convict the world. And then in verse 13, John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So specifically, he will guide you into all truth. Now these passages are important. And we've read them at the beginning of this lesson for a reason. They establish that Jesus anticipated a future chapter after he was no longer here on earth. That the work was going to continue in his physical absence. But that the work would go on because his people would be informed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to continue the next chapter. And when you read through the book of Acts, you see that pattern. How in the book of Acts it is the story of the work the Holy Spirit does how the Spirit comes on the apostles, how the Spirit works in different ways and in different places, but particularly 
how the Spirit does and fulfills what Jesus said the Spirit would do, convicting the world, guiding the apostles into all truth, bringing to their remembrance all that Jesus said to them so they can now speak with the authority of God. The Holy Spirit is going to be essential in the work of the apostles. But most of all, I want to call your attention to these verses because when Jesus is no longer present, the work on earth would continue through the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do for a few minutes this morning is talk about why we need the Holy Spirit. Now, we're often hesitant to talk about the Holy Spirit, and the reason is pretty simple. It's because a lot of people historically have said some wild and wrong things about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. That began with Calvinism, where John Calvin taught that in order for us to understand the Bible, we cannot understand on our own. We have to be acted on by the Holy Spirit in an act of irresistible grace to be able to understand and obey the gospel. And then last century, in the 1900s, Pentecostalism emerged. And Pentecostalism teaches that the spiritual gifts of the New Testament era, things like prophecy and tongues and healing, continue today. And so those two errors of Calvinism and Pentecostalism have in many ways made us run in the other direction when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We're scared to mention the Holy Spirit because we might get it wrong. And we might say something that kind of sounds like Calvinism or Pentecostalism. And I just want to say, at the very outset, I believe we can understand the Bible and respond to God. And I also believe that the, the gifts, the spiritual gifts that are described in the New Testament, like tongues and prophecy and healing, have ceased today. I do not believe the Spirit is working in that way today. However, having said all of that, I want to talk about what the Scriptures say about the Holy Spirit and how we need the Holy Spirit in our lives today because there is more to the Holy Spirit than error, than what some people have said about him that is wrong. And there is much that the New Testament has to say about it. Particularly, I want to stress that the Holy Spirit is God's active agent in the world. That's what Jesus says is going to happen. I won't leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you. He says, this is going to be the way the work continues when I am no longer there. So we're very comfortable talking about God's work in our lives. We do this a lot. We'll say, God bless me in this way. Or we'll say, God is at work in me. Or we'll say, we need to give God the glory for what's going on. We'll say, God has changed my life. And we're very comfortable with that. But because of the errors that surround the Holy Spirit, we're very hesitant to say anything about the Holy Spirit in that connection. And my suggestion in this lesson is that if we will simply look at what Jesus and Paul and John say about the Holy Spirit, then what we'll find is not only is it appropriate to talk about how the Spirit has changed my life and the Spirit is at work in me, it's actually more accurate biblically. That's the way they talked about the Holy Spirit, and that's the way they talked about what God was doing in them. So what I want to do for our time this morning is to sharpen our understanding so that we have a deeper sense of how God is at work in our lives by understanding what the New Testament teaches about the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? First of all, the Spirit gives truth. That's the first thing I want to say. We've already seen that here, that the Spirit is going to guide the apostles into all truth and give them remembrance of all Jesus said to them. He's going to convict the world. 
But I want to I say a little more about the idea of truth and why we need truth and how the Spirit provides that for us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2. As I mentioned earlier, you're going to need your Bible this morning. We're going to be turning to a lot of passages, and I want to be sure that we're getting what the New Testament actually says about the Holy Spirit in front of us. But what we're going to see here, 1 Corinthians 2, is that the, the New Testament paints the Spirit as the revealer, the one who reveals the mind of God. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 Paul writes, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual." So the problem, as Paul presents it, is that we don't fully understand the mind of God. And how could we? We don't really fully understand anyone's mind, probably not even our own, right? Okay, so we don't know what someone else is thinking, he says, unless they tell us. And no one knows the thoughts of God, verse 11, except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit is the one who reveals the thoughts and plans of God to man. So we've already talked about how the apostles were given these prophecies, promises by Jesus, about how the Spirit would guide them. Their words then become, in the New Testament era, authoritative, so that people will come and listen to the apostles' teaching, because not only were the apostles with Jesus, but the apostles speak with the Spirit of God. So when Paul says, he has revealed these things to us, and we impart it through spiritual words, not human words, he is saying the Spirit is what has guided us into truth. And so we need the Holy Spirit to understand what God wants us to be and do. Turn the page over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. God has given us His Spirit so that we can understand His thoughts. We can know His mind. Ephesians 2 and verse 19. Ephesians 2 and verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he says specifically, I want you to notice in verse 20, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets. But why or how could we, as the people of God, be built on the foundation of other men? Apostles and prophets. He says this in chapter 3. Look in Ephesians 3 and verse 3. He says, Ephesians 3, 3, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Do you notice the connection there? Apostles and prophets are the foundation here. Apostles and prophets are the ones the Spirit has revealed the mystery to. Paul says, when I write, you can understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. There is truth that comes from the Spirit, Ephesians 3, 5. And the Spirit has inspired apostles and prophets to write God's thoughts for us. We need the Holy Spirit because 
we need to know what God wants and what God thinks, and we don't have Jesus anymore. So how, at least not here on earth, so how did the apostles and prophets know and understand and be able to speak for God? That was through the Holy Spirit. So please understand what I'm saying. I am not saying that the Holy Spirit today makes us apostles and prophets. I am not saying that the Holy Spirit today reveals directly to us, to you and me, God's truth. I am saying that the Holy Spirit does give us truth as we understand the truth that He has revealed in times past to the holy apostles and prophets. That just like people did in the New Testament, we revere their words because they are the words of God, not the words of men. That just as they did in the New Testament, we sit at the apostles' feet to hear what they learned from Jesus. And that process is guided by the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit because the Spirit gives us truth. We need to know what God has done. We need to know what God likes and does not like. We need to know what comes next. We need to know what God's expecting from the world. We need to know what God wants for me in our marriage. We need to know what's going on when God gives commands and expectations. And the Holy Spirit is the source of that. Jesus is not here. And if God had not sent his spirit into the world, we would be completely in the dark about God's will. So let's just begin by saying, in this sense, the Spirit gives truth. And that's going to be something that we understand by reading the Bible and reading the New Testament. We receive that truth and we know that the Spirit is the guide of it. Second thing that we need from the Holy Spirit is the Spirit gives assurance. I want you to go with me to 1 John chapter 3. The Spirit often leads the New Testament writers to talk about Himself in this way. The Holy Spirit as an assurance that we belong to God. 1 John chapter 3. When I use the word assurance for the next couple of minutes, what I mean is that we can be certain that we are truly in a relationship with God, that we can know we belong to Him, that we can know we are His children. And there are a number of metaphors and pictures that the New Testament uses to describe this assurance or confirmation process. Let's look at a few of them. 1 John 3 and verse 24. 1 John 3 and verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Drop down to chapter 4 and verse 13, 413 of 1 John. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So we know there is assurance there that he abides in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now, the question is, how? What does that look like? We'll get to that in just a moment. But let's just say the New Testament is clearly saying one of the ways we are assured is through the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit because we need that assurance. But the New Testament uses lots of pictures to describe this process. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 8. We'll see one here. Romans chapter 8. Here the Spirit is going to assure us that we are sons. Romans chapter 8, which is the same idea as assurance that we are in Christ, or that we are in God, or that we are right with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Romans eight fourteen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As we follow the Spirit, 
we know that we are sons. We are led by the Spirit. The Spirit is in us, to use another New Testament image. All of that is serving to assure us. Now, along with that in Romans 8 is a fascinating promise. If you look down in verse 26, Romans 8 and verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here we don't know how to pray, and the Spirit intercedes for us. He takes our hearts to God for us, so that the language we don't have or don't know how to express is fully expressed to God. But we need the Spirit and the assurance He gives us, and particularly it seems to me to be linked here to our weakness. We don't know how to do the things we should do. We need help. So there is assurance from the Spirit, and that help that, know, that we can know that God hears us and accepts us, even though we often feel inadequate. The Spirit is also described in the New Testament as sealing us. Let's go to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, this is another picture that is intended to give us assurance. Ephesians 1. And verse 13, Ephesians 1, 13. In whom you also, Ephesians 1.13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the seal is the idea of ownership, that we belong to someone, we wear that seal. It is also the idea, can be the idea of permanence, like a seal that is on a document in ancient times, to preserve it until it gets to the right person. Okay, there is a sense that we are both owned by God and that there is a permanence to it. We are sealed so that we're not going to be tampered with, so that we know we're going to finally reach our destination. We belong to God, and all of these pictures are just saying the Spirit assures us that we belong to God. We could add others to this. 2 Corinthians 1 talks about the idea of the, the guarantee and the idea of the seal as well. It also uses the word anointing in that text. All of this is just about assurance, particularly the idea of a guarantee that when God has been willing to give us a part of himself, that God has sent his spirit to live in us and to guide us, that there is an assurance that we really do matter to him and he really has accepted us. There is assurance in that. So, the question is, how exactly does that work? There's some mystery about how that happens. If I had a word to describe the Spirit and how the Spirit works, it would be the word mystery. Some things we just don't know. We just can't say this is how he works or this is how he doesn't work. We just have to say, when God says this is what the Holy Spirit does, that's what the Holy Spirit does. I do believe that this happens through the Bible, I certainly believe that, that very often we receive assurance as we look at the Word of God and we compare our lives to the Word of God and we say, well, obviously I'm not doing this so I can't have assurance or I am doing this so I can have assurance. But this is one of those things that's awfully hard to diagram and pin down. Have you ever thought about when we ask God for something in prayer, how does God execute the answer to that prayer? I mean, does God send an angel? 
When we, when we pray for something, we ask for someone maybe to be healed of their affliction. How, how does God answer that prayer? We don't know that, do we? Does God do that through angels or spirits? Does God rework? Does God talk to the creation like Jesus used to? Say, now you stop doing that and you start doing that? We don't know, do we? Does that mean that, that it doesn't happen? No, we pray in faith and we just say, you know, that's God's end of the stick. I'll let God handle that. And I think in the same way, we have to think that way about the Holy Spirit. When we talk about assurance, the idea is God is reassuring us, you really are mine. I love you. I sent my son for you. I accept you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to fill in the gaps of your weaknesses. And we need that assurance. Because we are well acquainted with our inadequacies. We know how weak we are. And the reason we need assurance, in fact, I talk to Christians on a regular basis who are struggling with knowing that they truly are children of God. The reason we need that is because we are inadequate. And when we receive assurance from God, I can't diagram how that works. But the New Testament teaches me to attribute that reassurance to the Holy Spirit. So we need the Spirit because we need that assurance. Now, is that through the Word? Definitely. Could it be through other means like our brethren? I think that's possible. But one way or another, I think the goal is that we look at assurance and say, when I receive the assurance that I truly am following God and that I truly am a child of God, that's the Holy Spirit at work. The third thing we need the Holy Spirit for is the Holy Spirit gives growth. Let's go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. The Spirit works in God's people to help us grow into the people God wants us to be. Galatians 5 and verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So by pursuing the Spirit and the way of life the Spirit guides us into, we become different people. That is the idea. And the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 22... The fruit of the Spirit is the idea that the Spirit is working in us and He bears certain fruits in our lives. This is important because as Christians, we change regularly and we try to pursue love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all those things. And as we do, it is important that we know when we see fruit in our lives, that is not our doing. It is attributed to the Spirit. It is the fruit of God at work in our lives. Philippians 1 and verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when we ask the question, well, how is God at work in us? The answer is through the Spirit. 
The Spirit is at work in us. The Spirit is bearing fruit in us. The Spirit is helping us to grow. Now, certainly we have our part to play. We have to walk in the Spirit. We cannot quench the Spirit. We should not grieve the Spirit. But as we follow the lead of the Spirit, the Spirit bears fruit in our lives. We discipline our bodies. We make choices fitting with love and joy and peace. But when we see fruit of the Spirit's direction, we give glory to God and say, that's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who is at work in me. And when that happens, we find ourselves doing different things. Look in Galatians 6 and verse 1. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Did you notice that? You who are spiritual, people who are walking after the spirit, they go after their brother. They see their brother in sin, they go get him. That's what spiritual people do. Because they're following the Spirit. The Spirit is at work to help them grow into the kind of people who will do this. And sometimes that is pictured as being filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Spirit. And it seems to me that that sometimes we see people. I I see this regularly. Maybe, Maybe more commonly do I see it because people will talk to me often about the things that God is doing in their lives. And they'll see progress or change in their lives. Very encouraging to me when I hear people talk about progress they see. And sometimes we'll see people, will say something like, man, he's just on fire. Boy, he's just really zealous right now, really excited. You know, it might be good if we would resurrect this old biblical phrase that we don't use very often. See, when people were like that in the New Testament era... There was a word used to describe them. They were called full of the Spirit. It's what's said of Stephen. It's what's said of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine. When we see our people growing, when we look into one another's lives and we see, man, he is becoming more patient. We don't need to think, oh, he's just mellowing out. It's just because the kids are finally out of the house. We need to see that when people are walking after the Spirit and we see the fruit of that, God deserves glory for that. And we need the Holy Spirit because we came to Christ knowing we were not good enough as we were. And we wanted Him to work on us the way He worked on His apostles to make us into the kind of people that we could be proud of and that He could be proud of. And the Spirit is the agent of that work in us. We need the Spirit. Because the Spirit gives growth. Number four, the Spirit gives strength. Spirit gives strength. Ephesians chapter 3, if you would. Ephesians 3. We are well aware of our limitations, physical limitations, emotional limitations, personality problems. God has given the Spirit to strengthen us, to do the work that He has called us to do. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Strength in the inner being. He talks about in verse 16, power through the Spirit. 
That's what we're describing. The Holy Spirit allowing us, deepening us, strengthening us to handle the things God wants us to experience. And we understand ourselves. What this is saying is we need something outside ourselves to give us strength in moments where we need it. Now, in this text, the strength comes because we have things to understand and chew on as the people of God that we can't do on our own. Our circuits won't handle the deep things of God. And he says, I pray that you'll be strengthened through the Spirit to be able to grasp the fullness of God. But there are other things, other tasks, that you see people regularly in the New Testament being strengthened to do by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4, after the apostles are threatened, actually it's Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, and they come back and that threat shakes the group up, but they gather together and they ask God to give them boldness. And it says, the place in which they were sitting was shaken in the Holy Spirit, and they were all filled with boldness. Given strength that they asked for through the Spirit. Several times in the New Testament, we are told that God or Jesus will strengthen us. And it's interesting to me, just do a little thought experiment. We don't really have as much unease to say that, right? God will strengthen us. Oh, sure. Jesus strengthens us. Okay. But the Holy Spirit, well, I'm not sure about that. Sounds a little Pentecostal. I want you to notice that these are the statements that the Holy Spirit is the agent of executing. Finally, Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The Lord here is Jesus, strength of His might. Take on His power. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Colossians 1.11, may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The Holy Spirit is the answer to the how of spiritual strength. How? Through the Spirit. How are we strong in the Lord? How does He strengthen me? How am I strengthened with all power? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the answer to the how of spiritual strength. Strength in the inner man that we talked about in Ephesians 3. And perhaps physical strength too. I'll just say it this way. I know that there are times when I need strength from God and I can't even tell you, I sometimes can't parse it out. Am I tired emotionally or spiritually or physically? I just know I feel low. I need God's help. I need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. I've talked to my mom before. My mom had three teenage boys and she was a single mother. We had almost no money between us. I know I wasn't bringing any money to the table. And you ask her, well, how did you get through that? Strength from God. Can we understand that? I mean, can we diagram that? Well, this day I prayed this and this happened, you know. Sometimes we can, but most of the time we just trust that God will take care of it. And I've got to tell you, every Sunday I sit right there on that pew before I get up here. And what sounded really good on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, all of a sudden I start looking at it and thinking about, oh no, what am I doing? And I begin to doubt me. 
And I begin to wonder, am I way off? I've, I've got to say something that I know is true. Is this what the Bible says? And then I wanted to also accurately portray what I believe. And then I also want to help people. I want to say something that's going to benefit somebody. They can leave this building knowing they've learned and grown. But I know me. And so it's pretty regular. Some prayers going up from that pew. I don't know how it works. As for God to help me remember stuff, make it mean something. I just need strength from God. I tell you about that because I don't think I'm alone. And it's not just on Sunday. But that's why we need the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is what the New Testament describes as giving us strength. And the last thing I want to say is that the Spirit gives life. One of the most important connections we can make about the Holy Spirit is His connection to life. Now I want to show you some passages here on the board. And then we're going to look at one last passage. And these passages are from wildly different contexts, and they're talking about different things, but they all make the connection between the Holy Spirit and life. And I want you to see it. This is John 6.63. Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. He made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Notice the connection. He saved us, Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That word regeneration means rebirth, something made alive again, renewal. See those connections. In every place where the Spirit is. In fact, Paul will say it, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is life. So. That explains why Jesus says, when he says you need to be born again, he says you need to be born of water and the Spirit. The Spirit needs to be a part of this. That this needs to be a regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit needs to be at work because the Spirit is the agent of the fresh start, the new birth, the new life. And we need to see that. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 8. This is the last passage we're going to look at this morning. I want you to see that there is even more here than just that. That not only is the Spirit the agent of the new birth and the fresh start of us being able to be something new that we can't do for ourselves. We cannot make ourselves reborn. Here in Romans chapter 8, Paul goes a step farther and says that the Spirit literally gives life to our mortal bodies in the resurrection. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 Romans 8 and 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Notice again that idea of assurance. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through His Spirit who dwells in you. So not only does He give eternal life in the sense that He regenerates us when we come to Christ, this specifically says in verse 11 that the Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. The Spirit is the agent of resurrection. So why do we need the Holy Spirit? 
That one makes it pretty easy to answer, doesn't it? Because we want to live. Because we know what happens just on its natural course is that we die. This body dies. And there is no hope. But through the Spirit, not only can we become a new creature in Christ, we can have confidence that He will raise us when this body dies. So, the Spirit gives truth and assurance and growth and strength and life. We need the Holy Spirit because we need all of those things and we need them regularly. I just want to ask the question, why does all this matter? Why does it matter what we say about the Holy Spirit? It matters because I believe we desperately need to live with an awareness of the fact that God is still at work. That God didn't give up working when the New Testament finished. And that He is still at work in our lives. It matters because we need to give the credit to God for the things He is doing in our lives. These are things that we get awfully used to. We're comfortable with. We know we need them, but we also see them with regularity. And it's important for us to say, let's stop a minute and say, I wouldn't know that if God hadn't revealed it. Stop and say, I wouldn't see that growth if God wasn't at work here. Stop and say, as we sit at the grave of one of our loved ones, and say, I wouldn't be as okay with this as I am were it not for the fact that I have hope for eternal life. And the only reason I have those things is because of God. And the way God has revealed those things and communicated those things to us is through His Spirit. We need a sense that God continues with us and provides what we need. And we need a sense of biblical Christianity, not something tainted by the errors of denominationalism. What the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, that's going to be what guides us. Not what other people are saying or not saying. Now, I know that we have some questions about the how of all of this. I've got questions, too. Don't think because I'm up here I've got all the answers. I've got questions, too. But at the end of the day, can't we say with confidence God's going to do what he said he was going to do? And that when he does, we can give him praise and glory for that. Would you pray with me about it? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we've had to open your word and to think seriously about a serious idea. We thank you, Father, for sending your Spirit. We thank you first for sending Jesus so that he could be a sacrifice for us to take our sins away so that we could have hope of life with you forever. And we thank you, Father, for sending the Spirit so that we could understand your mind, so that we could be equipped for the challenges that we face, so that we could have the strength and the growth that we need to please you, and so that someday we could have hope despite our death. Father, we thank you so much that you loved us and that the Spirit is a sign of your love. Sometimes, Father, we're mystified as to how you would love us, but we're so thankful that you do. And Father, as we go forward in life, help us to remember how much you are with us, how you want to strengthen us and guide us, Help us to rely on you and help us to give you the glory for all that we see you doing. Father, we thank you for all these things. We pray through your son, Jesus. Amen.
There might be someone here who needs to respond to the gospel invitation. We want to give you this opportunity as we traditionally will sing a song to encourage you, a song of invitation. If you're ready to turn away from sin and come to Christ, that we can help you do that. And our practice is that we'll stand and sing this song. And as we do, if you have a need you want to make known to this group, you can just walk to the front. We'll receive you and we'll talk to you about that. And if you need to be baptized into Christ, we'll do that right now. Is there any need that you have? Please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.